Hello and welcome to The Rebind, a podcast about putting all the pages of the Bible back together. In today's standalone episode, we'll talk about a particular format of modern English Bible, the Red Letter Bible, its history, its shortcomings, and its connection with the conviction of this show. If you're wondering how anyone could call for the abolition of Red Letter Bibles, stick around and find out. Well, it's great to be back with you guys this week in September. Uh, The weather's getting pretty nice here after a hot summer on the eastern shore. Just a reminder, if you're ever looking for some more content, you can always check out the Buy the Book Resources website. That's buythebookresources.com, all one word, and listen to the weekly sermons that we've been doing at the church and the outdoor services at the park. Get a nice serving of Genesis to go with your Ezekiel. Also, if you guys really like bonus content, check out the Rebinds Patreon page, P-A-T-R-E-O-N dot com slash The Rebind, all one word. Give a teensy-weensy part of your pocket change to the cast every month and get some awesome extra materials like study notes, questions that I'll answer right here on the show, and so forth. So the, everything here is totally free to listen to. Uh, the time that it takes to produce the Rebind comes with its own cost. So any donations will make this more sustainable. And speaking of what makes the show possible, I have to thank Andrew Horning from Andrew Horning Sound for the audio mastering and Adam Anderson for his graphic design work. So tell your friends about us, social media, all that. All right, so what's up with this episode? Well, I was thinking about the show, and I think we've managed to do pretty well in terms of covering Ezekiel piece by piece, You know, interviewing some awesome people, ETC. But part of the point of the podcast is to rethink the way we think about our Christian lives in light of these neglected parts of the Bible, right? And, you know, we've tried to incorporate that into each of the Ezekiel episodes from one degree to another. But I thought, hey, why don't I just talk about some of the American evangelical ways of doing things that I've been talking about with other people and tie it back into the things that we've covered in the show. So that's what today is. Um, More of a social commentary like most podcasts, I guess, but hopefully it still helps us to see the relevance of what The Rebind is getting at. We'll be doing this for both the weeks in September. This week we'll talk about Red Letter Bibles and how that connects with the broader conviction of the podcast. Uh, like we talked about at the beginning of the show, way back in the day. And then next week, we'll talk about Ezekiel bread and and other such things in connection with what we've learned from the book of Ezekiel so far. All right, so I was talking with someone in the church about Bibles and all the different kinds, and, and I mentioned that I wasn't a big fan of red-letter Bibles. And that prompted a longer conversation on the subject, And uh, the light bulb in my dusty brain finally clicked on, and I thought, I've got to talk about this on the podcast. Because it's the perfect example of an assumed part of Christianity in the States that actually reveals some of our tendencies when it comes to encountering God through the Bible. So think about red-letter Bibles for a second. Pretty widespread fact of life, right? Red-letter Bibles are essentially Bibles that display the direct quotations of Jesus in red font. That's all it is, really. Uh, you know, you download a Bible app on your phone, and you got to actually comb through the settings to turn the red-letter Bible feature off. Because it's more normal, apparently, to have it than to not. 
Even just among Protestant Christian culture, contemporary Christian music, David Crowder's got that really popular song out called Red Letters. And it says, when I read the red letters, referring to the words of Jesus printed in red in red letter editions of the Bible, and the ground began to shake, the prison walls started falling, and I became a free man that day. So, is the Red Letter Bible a common part of evangelical Christianity? Yeah, pretty much a given. If you want to order a Bible online or something, it doesn't even really tell you if it's Red Letter or not. You have to find that under the More Details section next to the number of pages and centimeter dimensions. And you just click Buy, it seems like most of the time it's, it's Red Letter. In fact, when I googled an unrelated question about Red Letter Bibles, the first people also ask prompt to come up was... Do all Bibles have red letters? Which is no, not before the 20th century. Um, I think not much beyond the U.S., but I don't know for sure. Anyway, I don't think I really need to push this point anymore. Red letter Bibles are there. They're everywhere. Um, Problem is, we'd be better off without them. I think. And, And I know that sounds super harsh, Like, I'm just some angry Baptist with an axe to grind about how not Baptist everyone else is. But it's not that kind of thing, trust me. What I'm going to do is I'm going to lay my cards on the table early. I'm going to explain why I think red-letter Bibles are bad for you. And then I'll walk through some of the history of the red-letter Bible. Uh, What's potentially good about them or was good about them. And then I'll bring it all back to the point of the show and, and how what we've been seeing informs our understanding of the red letters. So, why don't I like red-letter Bibles? Well, I'm saying more than that, aren't I? I'm saying we'd be better off without them. But what's wrong with putting the words of Jesus in red? Well, whether we're thinking about it or not, by putting the parts of the Bible where Jesus speaks out loud in red font, we're giving the idea that those parts of the Bible are more special or more from God than the rest of the Bible. Or at least that was my experience of them growing up. And it's not just me. This is exactly what David Crowder actually says about Red Letter Bibles in the video that he put out explaining the meaning of his song, Red Letters. He says that he was in a Baptist church in Texas as a kid. And, quote, I looked over and I'm like, hey, Grandma, why are some of the words in your Bible printed in red while others are in black, black and white, you know? And, um... She says this, and and it was like, this you can hang, I've hung on to forever, and it's like still in my head and in my heart. She says, David, when Jesus is talking, you need to pay attention. And that's the simple explanation of what is, what do you mean by red letters? End quote. Okay, so... The Red Letter Bible means, uh, according to the famous artist who put out a song named after them, that when you see quote marks around something Jesus said out loud, you should pay attention. But the unspoken, unintended consequence of that reverence is a lower level of importance and reverence in everything else. Now, this is not just an overreaction to trying something different. This is the inherent nature of marking something more important. There's a comparison. More important than what? And that's the other words around it. The the words not in bright color, the other 
95% or whatever the percentage actually comes out to of the Bible. For whatever other purpose we might try to say that the lead letter Bibles have, this is undeniably the effect that they have. Again, I'm not just being cranky about it. This is the explicit, heartfelt, and inspiring lesson that motivated David Crowder in writing his song. The red letters are what you pay attention to. The red letters are what you set you free. And I'm not trying to poke fun at him at all or disrespect him in the slightest. Of course, the words of Christ set us free. What a great thing to sing about. But out of everyone, everything we should believe as Protestant Christians about the Bible should make us the least likely group to blatantly and mass productively elevate one part of it above the rest in the very way that we market the font. So, Okay, this is clearly a hobby horse of mine. Let me just back up my call for disbanding red letters with more actual reasons. Okay, when David Crowder lovingly recalls the words of his grandmother and says, when Jesus is talking, you need to pay attention. I want to say, amen, man, absolutely. But Jesus is talking in the background info of verse 3 just as much as his dialogue in verse 4. Jesus is talking everywhere that he speaks, and he speaks through his word, and all of the Bible is his word. So, if that's all true, then the way you understand all the Bible is not by picking out the red stuff, Esau style, which was actually the opposite of what the original red letter publisher intended, and more on that later, but by, by reading all of it, right? The first chapter of the Gospel of John describes Christ as the Word of God incarnate. Colossians 1 says, uh, Everything was created through him, another picture of Jesus as the Word of God, as God speaks in Genesis and creates. In Hebrews 4, it's it's a little unclear, actually, whether the Word of God, living and active, sharper than a sword, judging thoughts and hearts, you know that one. It's a little unclear whether that's really the written down scriptures or Christ, the Word of God. Since it says, no creature is hidden from him, but all things are naked and exposed to the eyes of him to whom we must give an account. It says that right after that. So even beyond just a general big picture thing that we believe about the Bible, we have solid biblical ground for saying that Jesus is the word of God and is communicated in all of the word of God written in scripture. So if your girlfriend writes you a letter, and well, if people still do that, I guess, or sends you an email maybe, and she's telling you about your plans to get married, it's like nine paragraphs long, what do you think you should pay attention to? The one part in paragraph six, which she quotes something she says to her dad, because that's somehow more important than the rest? Not in the slightest. A quote mark doesn't necessarily mean anything in terms of how essential a certain part of the writing is to the message unless we're assuming that she didn't actually write it. You see what I'm saying? It almost feels like red-letter Bibles are a halfway concession to American secularism if you really press the issue of what it communicates about the Bible. And in fact, if we want to press the analogy further, maybe the story about your girlfriend and her dad in paragraph 6 is just like a side note. How do you know? 
what should you pay attention to? Well, the whole thing, right? Duh, I don't think any of this is, like, mind-blowing. But, like, even just with that quote, okay? Let's say we dragged our cursor over it and changed it to, to red font. How are we going to understand that part? Well, why is she talking to her dad? What's her dad like? Is this a friendly conversation or a tense one? How does it relate to you wanting to marry her? <laughs> you need the whole paragraph for that one. And if we're honest, all nine paragraphs. So even on its own, without any further considerations, the logic of red-letter Bibles runs counter to the very nature of the Bible itself and actually assumes that the parts that are more tedious, less exciting, less obviously connected to Jesus and spelled out telling us that don't really matter quite as much which is exactly what we think most of the time without actually saying it out loud. You see what I'm saying? Now, I, I should be clear. I don't think the vast majority of people who read letter, red letter Bibles, man, tongue twister, are actually consciously choosing to undermine the black letters. I, I don't think it really comes off this dangerous to people who unbox their new Bible and see, huh, oh, these parts are in red. But, but something doesn't have to be in your face and explicit to be dangerous. And many, if not most, dangerous things we believe are the ones we just take for granted without processing, piling up, shaping our perspectives. So the point of this episode is not to boycott the Crowder Band or, or claim you're a bad Christian for owning a red-letter Bible. If anything, it's to suggest that the fact that this has gone so under the radar is a strong piece of evidence that our engagement with God in the Bible is missing something. I, I, I would love to see the day that Christian publishers actually refuse to print red-letter Bibles because of their convictions about this, even though it costs them a lot, so that the subtle messages those formats send aren't massively distributed anymore. So that's what happens when we actually shine the spotlight on red-letter Bibles and ask the hard questions of what they're there for, what we believe about the Bible, and how compatible those things are without any further considerations. But there are actually tons of further considerations that we could mention. Okay, so think about the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. Those books of the Bible where all the red letters show up. If you read them carefully, you'll know that they present the same speeches and conversations of Jesus in different styles and emphases as part of the themes that they're developing. So, for example, if you compare the end of Mark 8 with the end of Matthew 16, you see Jesus call his disciples to take up their cross right after Peter confesses Jesus as the Messiah and is rebuked for trying to prevent Jesus' death. Both places that happen, same order, just like that. But the wording is transparently different in both of those red-letter speeches. In Mark's account, for example, Jesus warns against being ashamed of his words in this adulterous and sinful generation. And whoever is ashamed, the Son of Man will also be ashamed of him when he comes in the glory of his fathers with the holy angels. That's what Mark is kind of emphasizing there. But in Matthew, another emphasis difference here, he says the Son of Man is going to come with his angels. Talks about those standing here who will see the Son of Man's kingdom instead of an adulterous generation. Now we could you know, take the deep dive and explain how those things sort of draw out the themes of Matthew and Mark respectively, but that's 
not go there for now. D- does that mean the Bible is a bad history book? No. And in fact, that's a totally arrogant way of importing modern methods for textbooks back onto historical Jewish and Greco-Roman narratives. Sure, maybe Jesus said all those things in a longer speech and the biblical writers are just selecting the parts that worked with their specific presentation. That's part of it. And sure, maybe Jesus covered similar subjects at different times, but to treat the red letters like transcripts of documentaries, assuring us, oh, at least these red words, I know Jesus is absolutely saying this and speaking these exact words to me. That's not only bad theology, it's not how the gospels even work. That that mentality undercuts the rich literary art of each specific gospel and the accuracy of Jesus's message that's maintained there by treating those books like a like like rambly news reports that we sit through just to get to the interview of the person we actually care about listening to. Now, I mean, think about it. the book of Acts, like Dr. Jip mentioned in his interview here on the show, has Luke saying, I wrote the first narrative, Gospel of Luke, about all that Jesus began to teach. That's what it says in verse 1, implying whatever we have in the rest of Acts is Jesus's continued teaching throughout his apostles. Okay, the Gospels never wanted red letters. That's not how they work. More things to think about, okay? There's tons of other considerations. The scriptures, for the vast majority of their history with us, have been presented to God's people by being read aloud in one sitting most of the time. I mean, we see this even within the scriptures themselves. In Exodus 24, 7, it says Moses read the book of the covenant, whether that was a big part of Deuteronomy or most of the first five books, either way, in the hearing of the people. And in Deuteronomy 31, Moses actually commands the Levites to read the law before everybody when they gather for the Feast of Booths. You see public readings like that in Joshua 8, 2 Kings 23, Nehemiah 8. Jesus himself reads from the scriptures out loud in the synagogue. The letters of Paul are circulated and they're read aloud. Even even Paul commands Timothy to devote himself to the public reading of scripture for the church in 1 Timothy 4.13. So you'd think if God's intention was for us to sift through the fluff to get to the good stuff of the Jesus quotes, he wouldn't have people just listening to huge chunks read in one setting. He'd, He'd just be distributing Jesus quotes of the day like fortune cookies and repeating them over and over. Anyway, that's exactly what we don't have. You can't hear the red letters in their voice. You can't see any note for public readers marked saying, tell listeners at this point, pay attention, Jesus is talking now. It, it's all just there. It, it, it's, it's been like that far longer than we had any sort of printed Bibles in our homes. And in fact, if we really want to play the history card here, red letter Bibles have barely been around a dozen decades. Let's talk the history of it now. This seems like a good time to segue there. Uh, And it's here that we're going to try to draw out the good parts, or at least the good intentions of these formatted Bibles. I, I think that's part of being quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to angry, like James calls for in Scripture. Uh, what are potentially good parts of this thing to consider before jumping to what's dangerous? 
Um, I know we kind of <laughs> jumped right into my um, convictions about this, but let's let's just think this through now. How did Red Letter Bibles get started? Why? Whose idea was it? Why did they have that idea? So on and so forth. Well, the guy who had the idea was an American in the D.L. Moody era of Christian evangelism and industrialism, if those things mean anything to you. His name was Louis Klopsch. He was actually friends with guys like D.L. Moody. And from all appearances, a great guy, passionate about the gospel. He raised billions of dollars for relief work and edited the Christian Herald magazine as part of his ministry. He rallied contributions for the Moody Bible Institute Hashtag represent. Thank you, sir. And in 1899, he read Luke 22:20, when Jesus institutes the Lord's Supper. And that verse reads, uh, this cup is the new covenant in my blood, which is poured out for you. And that verse inspired him. Why not have an edition of the Bible where Jesus's words are in red, like the blood of his covenant? Now, it could be that the Roman Catholic practice long before this of rubricating headings and leading letters and so forth, putting them in red, was part of that inspiration that made this less of a leap. But regardless, he took it to the Reverend Thomas DeWitt Talmadge, asked what he thought, and that pastor said, it could do no harm, and it most certainly could do much good. That's the the typical origin story for this thing. So I've been poking around the blogging world, always a foolproof thing to do, right? And I found one guy's comments about this. Uh, His name is uh, J. Mark uh, Bertrand, and and he says, uh, quote, whether Talmadge was right or not is open to debate, but the fad certainly caught on. What's interesting to me, assuming this story isn't apocryphal, is how one man's rather eccentric and literal-minded notion came to be embraced to such an extent that there are people today who believe that not to put the words of Christ in red is somehow a sacrilege. End quote. Okay, ouch. But, to be fair, that's not really the full story here. Regardless of the spark of inspiration, the purpose behind Klopsch's edition of the Bible was not piety expressed in coloring. Uh, For irony's sake here, let's go to the very words of Klopsch himself, what he thought about the Red Letter Bible and what it was for. So here's one explanatory note from the first edition of his his, uh, Red Letter Bible, published in 1901. Okay, that's the the first year of Red Letter Bibles. And he published it by the, the Christian Herald, the magazine that he edited. Here's what he says. Quote, Modern Christianity is striving zealously to draw nearer to the great founder of the faith. Setting aside mere human doctrines and theories regarding him, it presses close to the divine presence to gather from his own lips the definition of his mission to the world and his own revelation of the Father. The Red Letter Bible has been prepared and issued in the full conviction that it will meet the needs of the student, the worker, and the searchers after truth everywhere. End quote. Uh, here's another uh, explanatory um, note that he adds in the same kind of area. Quote, here the actual words, quotations, references, and allusions of Christ, not separated from their context, nor in fragmentary or disconnected form, but in their own proper place as an integral part of the sacred record, stand out vividly 
conspicuous in the distinction of color. The plan also possesses the advantage of showing how frequently and how extensively on the authority of Christ himself, the authenticity of the Old Testament is confirmed, thus greatly facilitating comparison and verification and enabling the student to trace the connection between the old and the new, link by link, passage by passage, end quote. Okay, one last part. Quote, in the Red Letter Bible, more clearly than in any other edition of the Holy Scriptures, it becomes plain that from beginning to end, the central figure upon which all lines of law, history, poetry, and prophecy converge is Jesus Christ, the Savior of the world. He expounded in all the Scriptures the things concerning himself and the divine plan for man's redemption. And the Red Letter Bible indicates and emphasizes this divine exposition and personal revelation at each successive stage, making them so clear that even the simplest may understand. It sheds a new radiance upon the sacred pages by which the reader is enabled to trace unerringly the scarlet thread of prophecy from Genesis to Malachi. Like the star which led the Magi to Bethlehem, this light shining through the entire word, leads straight to the person of the divine Messiah as the fulfillment of the promise of all the ages, end quote. Okay, so there are important things to realize about the original Red Letter Bible here. For one, it wasn't just the words of Jesus that were marked in red. Old Testament passages that Jesus quoted, prophecies that referenced Jesus, they were all marked in some way with red, often with cross-references. Some things to uh, point out from the quotes that we read, Kloss published the Red Letter Bible with a hard evangelistic bent, wanting to help people see what Jesus said about God and about himself himself, Right? But at the same time, he intentionally published the Bible in its entirety in order to keep those marked sections in their context. He could have just made a shorter version of the Bible, like a lot of the founding fathers of the U.S. did, right? The Jefferson Bible. But he didn't. He thought that they should remain where they belong as an integral part of the larger scriptures while marking them to stand out for these reasons, other reasons. And what are those reasons? Well, part of it was to help people put their Bibles together, like a, like a more obvious cross-referencing system. I mean, our Bibles have like, what, 50 billion footnotes? See this scripture, see that one. How many of those do we immediately explore in our quiet times in small groups? But this was like, look, the Old and New Testaments are stitched together. You can't miss it, factory worker I'm presenting this new Bible to. Interesting, right? Part of Klopp's hopes for this was to show Jesus' authority in the Old Testament, to confirm the value of it when it comes to knowing Jesus. And even that was maybe a subcategory of another goal he had, if you caught it, which was to trace what he called the scarlet thread of redemption all throughout the Bible leading up to Jesus, to show among the skeptics or, or nominal or, or those of other religions, that all the Bible is held together by our Messiah, who's like the star of David for the Magi, the true north. 
All right, so, so seeing the history here helps us to appreciate, on the one hand, how new and American all this is in the grand scheme of things, but also how purposeful and contextual the lead by, letter Bible was in its time, too. In fact, when you think about it, it was almost more like a study Bible, or intended like that, at least, when you read the Formatter's Manifesto. There's a lot to appreciate about that here. I mean, if we're going to question marking some parts of the Bible in red to help the biblically illiterate connect the dots of the story of redemption, then you got to question any of the markings we have in the Bible in the first place. The chapter headings we add, the, the very verse numbers and chapter numbers that, that certainly aren't original, all of it, it all messes with our plain reading of what's originally given to us by God in a sense so if you want to go hardcore on this, then, then you should only buy those new reader's editions of the Bible. I, I forget what they're called. Okay, another part of the history of the Red Letter Bible we often forget is that the King James was king then. And in the King James translation of the Bible, you didn't have quotation marks. They just weren't there. So the Red Letters, in that sense, was another formatting aid to show people when Jesus was actually speaking even though that's actually debated at certain places. It could just be the narrator. Sometimes it isn't obvious. So we shouldn't be so quick to speak without listening to Colossian, thinking through his purpose. Of course, now the study Bible aspect of the Red Letter Bible has virtually vanished, right? The Old Testament prophecies and quotations of Jesus aren't marked in red. It's just Jesus said this out loud, so we put it in red. And the formatting isn't any sort of help either. It's actually a thing where the red letters are harder to read for people who have poor eyesight, and the quotation marks are there now. So there's no reason for it sticking around on that end of things. But let's think through Kloss on his own terms for a minute, given his intentions. Even back then, would we have been better off without publishing this format of rubricating the Dominical words Protestant style? Uh, hard to say. I'd honestly still probably lean against it, though I'm much more understanding of the purpose it served for his time. And again, this is my take on things, but you know, for his time, pre-study Bible for every birthday era, I think when it comes to the presentation of the very words of Scripture, even though Klosch had the good intention of helping the common person see what Jesus said about himself and God, there's an assumption there in the layout that undervalues what's just as important for understanding what Jesus says about himself and about God. It's interesting, in that video by David Crowder that I was talking about earlier, where he explains the meaning of his song, Red Letters, he actually talks about Klaus. He, he, he mentions his heart for the common man, but it comes across really different. And, and maybe I'm reading into this, but judge for yourself. Crowder says, quote, when Jesus is talking, you need to pay attention. And that's the simple explanation of what do you mean by red letters? Red letter edition of the Bible, anytime Jesus was talking, written in red. And even uh, the, the guy that did it, Louis Klaus, skipping ahead a little bit here in the quote, he wanted people to experience the story of God. He wanted the common man to experience the story of God like he had to understand the story of Jesus and the entrance of the divine into the human, into our situation, 
He wanted the common man to be able to. So when Jesus is talking, pay attention. Went even back to the Old Testament and when Jesus was quoting verses from the Old Testament or was prophesying about his entrance into the story, down and read as well. So I never forget, I'll never forget those words. And and um, this song, Red Letters, is a reminder to myself and hopefully everybody that's in listening range of this thing that the words of Jesus penetrate through everything that you've got going on in life. End quote. So, you know, Crowder did his homework too. He knows a lot about Klaus. And again, I could be reading into this and, and you may hear that from Crowder and think, yeah, he's nailed it. That's exactly what Klaus would say today. I don't know. I, I think there's a fine line or a slippery slope maybe between saying we want to format the Bible to show important connections to the sayings of Jesus and saying that the sayings of Jesus are what are more accessible and powerful and important for the common person than the rest of it and separate from the rest of it. So there's your two cents for me and, and your drive-by history of Red Letter Bibles. Clearly a hobby horse for me, but also patently far field from what its original intentions were. Just to tie this all up, I, I want to tie it back to the point of this podcast. The conviction that made me make this thing is that our problem with the Bible is not that we're clinging too closely to it, but that we're clinging to too little of it. If God explicitly says in places like 2 Timothy 3 that you need all of Scripture to be equipped for the Christian life, to be prepared for life, how can we think we can live off a few verses that we've picked out and slapped onto bumper stickers? How will the words of Jesus set us free when we muzzle more than 99% of what he's saying? To the extent that red-letter Bibles contribute to that, let's get rid of them. A fun fact, actually, I also named, um, I almost named this podcast uh, Black Letter Bible. <laughs> but that's not immediately obvious what I'm getting at. And, uh, well, I guess it's not like the rebind is abundantly transparent either. But artistic mistakes, on my part aside, the red-letter Bible problem is more than just an artistic opinion. It finds a perfect home in evangelical American Christianity because we are perfectly content to rely on a handful of our favorite selections for all we need in our spiritual nourishment. But the original intentions for the Red Letter Bible were actually the opposite. Now, I put in the companion link to this episode on the Buy the Book Resources site, a place where you can actually read a photocopy version of the original Red Letter Bible published by Klops. I cannot say that name. And you'll see even there uh, in the beginning, there are these little summary sections for each book of the Bible explaining what happens in each of the group of chapters for, for all of them. And Klaus did not want to separate the words of Jesus from the rest of the Bible. He wanted to connect all the Bible to the words of Jesus that we can see within it. Yet even with these greater intentions, I have to disagree with the instinct that says the way we make the Bible more accessible is by elevating certain parts of it above the rest or, or by encouraging people to narrow their focus to the things we deem most relevant and needed in our relationship with Christ. One of the only things I could find um, that Klaus has published besides this was a, a devotional of selected scriptures um, a lot of the times, most of what I could see from, from 
New Testament epistles and a psalm or something like that. Not that those kinds of devotionals are a bad thing, but it definitely shows his instincts as a, a compiler and reorganizer. But in appreciation of what Klopsch did or tried to do, and, and for all the lives that he reached with his donations and, and declarations of the gospel, I want to close this episode out with a prayer from the scriptures that he selected in that devotional for today, uh, September 14th focusing on the compassion and comfort of God. Blessed be God, even the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies, the God of all comfort, who comforteth us in all our tribulation, that we may be able to comfort them which are in any trouble, by the comfort wherewith we ourselves are comforted of God. Like as a father pitieth his children, so the Lord pitieth them that fear him. For he knoweth our frame, he remembereth that we are dust. As one whom his mother comforteth, so will I comfort you, casting all your care upon him, for he careth for you. Thou, O Lord, art a God full of compassion and gracious and long-suffering and plenteous and mercy and truth. Next time on the show, we'll continue to connect the show to the things that are going on in American evangelicalism by uh, focusing more on the Ezekiel stuff, things like the marketing of Ezekiel bread and how what we've been learning intersects with these trends. So I hope you can tune in then. Until next time, buy Black Letter Bibles. See ya.